Over the last two weeks, we have been talking about the Jungian archetypes. So far, we have explored the king, the caretaker, the everyman, the creator, the innocent, the explorer, the warrior, and the rebel. This week, we are going to finish up the last four of the archetypes. And uh, I'm very excited about this. I didn't do this on purpose, but it just so happens that these last four, I would say three of them are my big archetypes and one or two of them being my main shadows, which I am going to talk about. So let's just jump in. The first one is the magician or the wizard archetype. This archetype is the part of us that is able to transform thought into reality. To sum up the magician in one word would be creation. The magician uses their strong intuition and intellect to almost bend their reality to what they want it to be. And if you follow me on Instagram, you will have seen (laughs) that in my bio, I do have reality bender. So spoiler alert, the magician is one of my very big main archetypes. Intuition is a key characteristic of the magician. The innocent also uses their intuition, but remember, theirs is often from a naive place. The magician's intuition is more matured and can't be swayed so easily. So whereas the innocent is coming from a place of uh, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, the magician is coming from a place of mild skepticism. Magician energy is transformative. They have skills and know-how and are able to blend those two into an almost seamless strategy to get their desired outcome. If you're into tarot at all, think about the significations of the magician card and then also think about what the magician card means reversed and that could kind of be like the shadow. The person on the card has all these tools in front of them and they're able to create and manifest freely. So I said their energy is transformative and that applies mostly to their own consciousness and their perception of reality. The magician is concerned with gaining wisdom. They will often seek wisdom through subconscious internal means. They're seeking the typically unreachable parts of their subconscious, and then they integrate them into their conscious mind. Meditation and being lost in thought comes to mind here. And this is something I do a lot. I find myself either just kind of not really daydreaming but just thinking. I think a lot. And I also meditate. Meditation is something that's very near and dear to me. I have really established a practice over the last year and it means a lot. And I think it's really part of my routine and it's almost like working out for me. If I don't do it, I I definitely feel thrown off. So since we have these things like meditation and being lost in thought, that means that the magician It has access to these deep-rooted emotions as well. So it's not just intellect, it's also about emotions here. Their work usually involves transcending reality to gain some sort of wisdom, so they're often detached from the real world. This detachment allows them to gain perspective, and they can take notes on their inner world. And I do that quite literally. After I'm done meditating, I tend to write down what I felt, what I saw, things like that. So it's really tapping into that subconscious world and being able to do it quite easily. It's very accessible. If this archetype is prominent and well-defined, you could probably come off to people as being cold 
or maybe even unfriendly and unapproachable. Sometimes magicians can be labeled as loners or even just kind of weird, which it can be hard to understand them and see where they're coming from. So I do get this stereotype or why they are labeled this way. These people are often labeled as being antisocial, but that's definitely not the case. They love engaging with others. And yeah, they do do better generally with one-on-one interactions, but they can do well in groups as long as they have an anchor or they feel really comfortable in the group. But whether it's one-on-one or it's a group, these people do have a threshold for social activity and will always end up needing time to themselves. That's a very big staple for the magician is that they need alone time. And typically that threshold for social interaction is pretty low. And using myself as an example, since this is a prominent archetype for me, my threshold is very low. I do not need a lot of social interaction to feel fulfilled or entertained. I really just don't need it. I've been called a hermit. (laughs) And it's funny to me when people call themselves hermit or they say, I'm going into hermit mode and they won't talk to someone for like an hour. (laughs) And that's very funny to me because as someone who is, I suppose, a true hermit, I really genuinely do not need social interaction. I am completely okay being within my own mind, being with my own thoughts, and uh, just kind of living in that mental subconscious world. I love it there. That's where I get all my creativity from. But we will see with the shadow magician that just because I like not having to be social all the time and I would rather be alone majority of the time doesn't mean it's good for the magician. So the shadow side of the magician falls into three different categories. And generally, these three different things are symptoms of the shadow. So first we have detachment. Then we have a listlessness in the form of indifference, and then there's an overactive intuition. So let's start with detachment. We talked about how the magician lives in their own world, and they go there to seek the inner wisdom of the subconscious. So it should come as no surprise that sometimes the magician just stays there. And that's what I was saying with just because I like meditation and I like being alone doesn't mean it's great to always be alone. The shadow magician can take their attachment too far and begin cutting people out of their lives if they see them as not necessary or important to their overall vision. Emotions are viewed from an intellectual perspective rather than an emotional one when we're dealing with the shadow magician. This may stem from not receiving enough emotional support in childhood, so the shadow rationalizes instead of sympathizes. Now, a healthy magician can balance both emotion and intellect. A shadow magician really just leans on intellect. So let's go to the next thing we see with the shadow magician, which is feelings of indifference. So while the magician has a world of possibilities and can easily create any of them, the shadow magician is happy with none of them. The shadow magician always feels like there's something better or that things can be approved upon. This indifference can also extend towards people. Remember how I said the shadow magician will cut people out of their lives? Well, this plays a part in that. The shadow magician gets bored of people, even people they really genuinely like. 
They find it hard to sustain connections and would rather retreat to their own mind than try to forge new connections or work on existing ones. And I am not going to lie to you all, this is a huge part of my shadow. (sighs) It makes me seem like kind of a jerk and also kind of really cold. It makes me come off as cold and I am not cold. I just, again, have a very low level of uh, social needs. I have a very low threshold for social activity. I mean, for goodness sakes, I have the same three friends now for over a decade. Two of them, almost two decades now. (laughs) I have known two of them since middle school, and the other one I met freshman year of college. So I've really just kept the same friends. I love them. They support me. They're dear to me. They also understand my shadow magician ways and they know I'll come back. They really work with me and that's important that they don't get offended when I disappear and things like that. But I also actively try to work on my shadow magician and not cut them out. But when it comes to new people, it can be very hard for me to attach to new people or form new connections with new people because, again, I get bored with them. And that sounds horrible and I feel so bad, but I just, I have what I need with the three people that I have and I love them dearly. So for me, it just seems like, well, why would I make new connections? Well, there's plenty of reasons to make new connections. Logically, I realize that. So when I work with my shadow, especially the magician shadow, it's really about me realizing that I need to give people more of a chance and I need to open up a little bit more. And I also need to try to empathize and not rationalize as much. So the last thing we see with the shadow magician is overactive intuition. This is when the magician is scared to create. The shadows pop up in ways of irrational fears, doubts, and anxieties. These fears stop the magician from creating to preserve the ego. They don't want to be seen as a fool or just a stage magician, so to speak. So they stop performing magic altogether. This is not one of the ways that my shadow manifests, but I do see it in other people. It's similar to the creator, where the creator shadow just wants perfection, and they won't create if it's not perfect. Very, very similar to the shadow magician. The shadow magician can get scared and think, everyone's going to find out I'm a fraud, and uh, I'm not good enough, and my creations won't make an impact, they won't matter. So that's another way that the shadow magician can pop up. And I'm being very vulnerable in telling you all about this shadow for me right now. But again, it's because we all have shadows and we all have parts of us that we need to work on and that we need to integrate. So I'm not ashamed of my shadow magician at all, but I do try to actively work with (laughs) with that shadow. It's not easy. Again, it's very easy for me to become a hermit and kind of just tuck myself away and be content. So I try to push myself and I try to get myself to meet new people and just engage with them more. So that's how I work with my shadow magician. The next archetype we're going to talk about is the lovers or the maiden archetype. This is the self-love archetype. You didn't think we were going to get through all these without touching on the topic of self-love, did you? (laughs) Especially it's February, Valentine's Day, so self-love is huge right now. A healthy lover is someone who is able to give and receive love freely, not just give, but also receive. 
That's love to yourself, friends, family, romantic relationships, all kinds of love. This is not limited to just our romantic partners. Remember that. Love is so much more than just romance. Besides love and affection, though, this archetype encompasses the ability for us to indulge in the things we love about life. So hobbies, good food, treating ourselves. The lover is very Venusian in nature. They're all about enjoying life. They are comfortable in their own skin, and they truly love the person they are, even on their worst days. They see the flaws in themselves, and they accept them, and they know that they aren't defined by those flaws. The lover is capable of having beautiful, healthy relationships with others. These relationships are built on mutual love and respect. People with the lover as one of their main or dominant archetypes will be deeply concerned and invested with their relationships. They know others on a deep level, but they also know themselves on a deep level. The lover is social, empathetic, and encompasses this really dreamy quality about them. These people aren't afraid to open up and share their emotions, as they know that emotion has just as much power as logic. Their emotions are where they derive their creativity from, and these people are generally all-around artsy types. Again, Venus, Venus, Venus. This is a very Venusian archetype. Art, music, expression, life's indulgences, bonding with others, all those Venus significations will be seen here. Something I find really interesting is that the lover is often seen as a muse for the magician. So the emotional nature of the lover inspires the magician and helps them tap into their more feminine powers. For me personally, when my shadow magician is cropping up, I do try to uh, see things from a more emotional standpoint. I try to think very empathetically and put my emotional shoes on. It's not easy for me, but I try. It's nice having water signs around and people who are very water heavy because they provide that emotion that I naturally lack. And my best friend is a Scorpio stellium, so she helps me with this a lot. Now for the shadow side of the lover. The shadow lover, which that sounds really cool, but it's, re- it's not. I swear this is not a good one, but shadow lover just sounds cool. The shadow lover is one of the sadder shadows, actually, in my opinion. And that's because uh, one of the main things people with this shadow experience is the inability to love themselves. So like I said, sounds cool, but it's not cool. This lack of self-love can manifest in a few different ways. These people turn towards destructive behaviors because they don't think their life has worth or value. Dependencies and obsessions are likely to occur in the forms of substance abuse, having strained relationships with food that can result in eating disorders, and even just having these really obsessive passions that feed the person emotionally. They're more like fixations. And when the fixation doesn't give them the emotional hit that they're desiring, they'll move on to something else that will. So they just jump from obsession to obsession and uh, really just dig into it, sink their teeth into it until it no longer satiates them, and then they move on to the next obsession. So basically, the shadow lover will overcompensate for their lack of self-love by indulging in anything and everything, and then feelings of shame or guilt will come about because of it. So it's not just that they indulge, it's that they indulge and then they feel guilty about it. 
On the other side of the shadow lover coin, we see people who withhold from themselves altogether because they don't feel worthy. So they might withhold food, which again, this is where possible eating disorders can come into play. They withhold material desires or even forming relationships with other people. They become overly regimented and have no passion in their lives because they feel like they don't deserve it. There's usually some sort of abandonment issue from early life that causes this shadow to take form, but there are other reasons, like a lack of emotional support or being told that emotions are a sign of weakness. Things like that will make this shadow form from an early age. This shadow can also manifest through means of jealousy, becoming infatuated with people, or emotions that run rampant and ruin the native's relationships, and also a tendency to smother people obsessively. The shadow lover will pick petty arguments in relationships just to feel more seen. It's like those memes you see when it's like, woke up today and I'm feeling petty, and then you pick, they pick a fight with their significant other. That's actually the shadow lover. It will also be the reason that you turned a blind eye to people treating you poorly, because any attention is better than no attention to the shadow lover. So it's really two sides of the same coin here. It's either they overindulge or they withhold. And honestly, they probably do a bit of both. It all depends on the situation and outside factors and really how they're feeling about things. But I'm willing to bet that people with this shadow really flip-flop back and forth between the two, a binge and a purge, you know, an indulge and a withhold, and then also just picking fights in relationships, and then also allowing people to kind of treat you poorly just because you're getting attention from it. The next archetype is the trickster or the jester archetype. The trickster is the jovial, playful side of ourselves. It allows us to not take ourselves too seriously and to find the lighthearted side of every situation. Someone with a dominant trickster archetype is usually laughing and also trying to spread that laughter and joy to others. Again, spoiler alert, this is one of my biggest archetypes, if not my absolute biggest archetype. (laughs) I laugh on this podcast. I laugh everywhere I go. I have told you guys many, many times that I just, I don't take anything seriously and I laugh and I think everything's funny. I find the humor in everything. That's pretty much my trickster archetype being at the forefront of my personality. The trickster reminds us not to be too hard on ourselves. No one gets out of this incarnation alive, so why be so serious all the time? And I cannot tell you how much that resonates with me. Truly, I, I love life, but also, what's the deal? You know, like, again, no one gets out alive, so just live it, baby. Like, have a good time. That's just how I truly feel. Pleasure and happiness are the main objectives for the trickster. This is the part of our consciousness that helps us deal with the stress of everyday life. Spontaneity and creativity are born from this place. When you have those random ideas and you actually decide to follow the white rabbit and take a chance and then it all works out, that's the trickster. And that's my entire life and literally how I operate. I don't plan things. Just letting you know. I don't, I do not plan for anything. If anything, my friends will be the planners, but I'll just pop in and be like, okay, we're here, we're doing this, like, let's get it on, like, time to go. (laughs) That's just how I operate. I love the spontaneity of life. So pretty much everything I do, I do on a whim. Like this podcast. 
I was like, you know what? It's time to start a podcast. Did it. Here we are. 26 episodes in. I think this is 26, maybe 27. I'm not sure. But <laughs> but that's how I like to live my life. Just by feeling that nudge and then following it. Again, seeing the white rabbit and chasing it down. That thrills me to no end. And sometimes it, those are the best times of my life. People with a prominent trickster are usually the clown of the friend group, the impulsive one, the one who isn't afraid to try something daring or new, the uninhibited leader, and ultimately the person who isn't afraid of looking like a fool. They don't think much before they act, so being embarrassed doesn't even register with them. They'll just handle things as they come and then laugh off any situation. As I'm talking about this, I keep saying they, but I really feel like I should be saying I. <laughs> I know other people have trickster archetypes, but this one is just so prominent for me that as I'm talking about it, I'm like, this is me. This is me. You guys are really getting to know me today because first we have a little bit of the magician, now the trickster. So this is pretty much my personality. The trickster is able to think outside the box and often has a unique perspective on things. They find meaning in nothing yet nothing means anything to them. Who? <laughs> that could be like, if, if I wrote a book, that would be the, the cover of it. That would be, you know, what I wrote on the inside to all of you. It would just say in very beautiful script, they find meaning in nothing, yet nothing means anything to them. Very dramatically. Now for the shadow trickster. Out of all the shadows, the trickster seems to be the one that can flip back and forth rather fluidly. When we think about it, tricksters aren't traditionally good characters. They straddle the line of good and evil and generally exist to serve their own means and cause chaos just for something to do. Look at Loki, for instance. Not innately bad, but mythologically speaking, he's caused his fair share of problems, if not the majority of the problems for the Norse gods. Self-deception is one of the biggest ways the shadow trickster comes knocking. The shadow trickster will creep into our subconscious and nudge us towards things that aren't exactly productive or good for us, but those things are more fun than the alternative of facing the reality at hand. These tendencies can show up as excessive partying, emotional eating, hard drugs, sex and love addiction, or anything else that's just more fun than actually dealing with your problems. You also never really see the jester cry. Think about that. Think about the jester's place in the court. It's to entertain the court and also to make fun of the king. The jester is the only one in the court that is allowed to speak out of turn to the king. You never really see the jester's emotions, and that's a problem with this shadow. It's really all about self-deception here. The shadow trickster is trying to hide and bury their feelings or just really keep all the skeletons in the closet and not think about their unresolved traumas by saying, look over here, there's something fun and exciting, look over here, and then they shove all the skeletons down deeper while you're not looking. The shadow trickster is often immature and doesn't know how to handle their emotions properly, which can lead to embarrassing situations when interacting with other people. If you've ever thought, why did I say that or why did I do that immediately after saying or doing something? That was the shadow trickster coming out to make a fool of you and to kind of teach you like, yeah, you kind of don't look great when you do that or you don't look great when you say that. So it makes a fool of you to kind of teach you a lesson. 
I said the trickster likes to think outside the box, and that's great, but sometimes their thinking can get a little too grandiose. The shadow trickster will make you believe that anything and everything is possible, no matter how unrealistic it actually is. A little bit of this energy is great when it's working well, and it can propel us forward and keep us going, but when we have too much of it, we can get haphazard and put our energy into all the wrong things. We can become obsessive about something that's never going to happen, or even worse, involve ourselves in really daring and risky behavior because you think it's going to be fine without any rhyme or reason to think that. What the shadow trickster needs is a hard dose of reality. Staying grounded and applying logic will help keep the trickster in check. This is a shadow that can flare up randomly and leave just as quick as it arrived. If this is one of your main shadows, having a regular routine that allots for work and play will keep the trickster both entertained and too busy to get into any trouble. The saying, the devil finds work for idle hands, really applies here. And using myself as an example, yet again, <laughs> I will say that my trickster is uh, very under control these days. It is uh, pretty much my main archetype. It's number one, but the shadow isn't anymore. It used to be when I was younger. It definitely was. I was much more mischievous and sometimes mischievous just for the sake of being so. I would go places and not tell people just because. And I wasn't doing anything wrong or bad. It's just didn't feel like it. And it just really, you know, a reckless force, a chaotic force. And uh, now that I'm older, I have more structure. And like I said, the trickster needs to be both entertained, but busy with work also. It can't just all be play because then the trickster is going to go off and get into trouble. And it can't be all just work because uh, then the trickster is just going to freak out and have a meltdown and cause chaos. So it needs to be a good balance. You need to find a routine. So if you are someone that has a trickster that's, you know, a little out of control, try to ground yourself. Try to think, okay, I can allow myself to really indulge in these certain things, but I also have to get some work done. And other than that, I will say that the shadow trickster never actually leaves us because it can pop in and out so fast. And think of it like this. Remember when I said that we have the court and the king and the jester? So you are in charge. You are the king or the queen. You are the one that is in charge. The emperor, if you will, you know, the empress, whatever, the person in charge. That is you. And your shadow trickster is the jester that comes around and humbles you. This shadow isn't all that bad but it's not all that good. It's really just here to put the mirror up in front of you and say, this is how you're acting. You kind of look like a jackass. Fix it. The very last archetype that we will be talking about is another one of mine, and it is the sage or the wise man archetype. The sage is similar to the magician with a few subtle differences. The first being that the sage is the more mature version of the magician and has a really strong hold over their emotions. The magician also has a grasp on their emotions, but they're still learning and they're not as wise as the sage. So they're still prone to those emotional outbursts and making a mess of things. Whereas the sage just kind of goes with the flow a little more. The sage can easily detach from their emotions. This gives them control over their intellectual world 
and allows them to see things clearly and for what they actually are. There is no emotional spin put on anything. They are more concerned with deep introspection and contemplating existence itself. One of the other differences between the sage and the magician is that the sage gets so caught up in thought that they sometimes forget to take action. The magician is all about action and creation. The sage is about contemplation and introspection. The magician and sage are actually feminine and masculine counterparts. They need each other if they are going to realize their full potential and power. Overall, the sage is a thinker and a visionary. They are mature and wise, but require the help of the other archetypes to bring their ideas to life. The sage is someone who understands themselves on a deep subconscious level and spends a good majority of their time just thinking. Now for the shadow sage. Again, the shadow sage is similar to the shadow magician. Like the magician, the shadow sage gets so caught up in their own head that they often detach from reality. Where they differ is that the shadow sage can become dogmatic in their thinking. Whereas the shadow magician just kind of detaches and goes off on their own, the shadow sage takes it a step further and uh, has a tendency to look down on others and become a know-it-all. And honestly, the shadow sage doesn't have much patience for people who aren't as intellectually skilled or minded as they are. They end up self-isolating because no one is on their level, so to speak. The shadow sage can drive someone to become a recluse or an overall loner because of this type of behavior. Since the shadow sage thinks their opinion is better than everyone else's, they have a tendency to dismiss other people and not even hear them out. Emotions are basically non-existent with this shadow. This shadow has a hard time relating to others and often doesn't feel very empathetic towards other people. One way this shadow is created is through not being intellectually recognized as a child. Your intelligence and creativity were possibly overlooked as a child, and now you're overcompensating as an adult. But that overcompensation quickly turns to arrogance and battling anyone with opposing views. You may also not actually believe in your own intelligence that much, so you put on a front. Instead of trying to learn from others and recognizing that everyone brings something to the table, the shadow sage will push their opinion and their voice to be front and center at all times. If someone adds to the conversation or tries to chime in, they will be met with defensiveness and sometimes outright hostility. This shadow is both confident and insecure about their intelligence. If this is a shadow for you, a way to soothe it is to realize that everyone has something they can teach you. To heal this shadow, you need to learn that not everything is an attack on your way of thinking. Practice listening to others, acknowledge what you both bring to the table, and avoid being confrontational. The sage archetype and energy is fully integrated when you can stop being blinded by your own illusions and can see the bigger picture and express your views in a non-dogmatic way. And also, bonus points to the sage if they're able to hear someone else's way of thinking, and then they adopt or adapt their personal views afterwards. That, my friends, is true introspection. Not being offended by others, but welcoming the intellectual challenge and seeing how it fits with your current worldview. That is someone who is confident in their own intellectual abilities and also sees the value in other people's and what they can learn from them. That wraps up all 12 of the Jungian archetypes. 
Now that we've gone through all 12, you should be able to identify which ones are strong parts of your integrated personality and which ones are shadows. For me, we know that the strongest ones in my personality are the trickster, the magician, and the sage, and then a little bit of the innocent, the, the innocence on the tail end. And then my shadows, my biggest shadow is the magician. My next shadow is the trickster. And I sometimes have a little bit of the sage. I tend not to be dogmatic. I just tend to kind of go off into my own world and ignore people. And I don't really care what they say. I just keep to myself. So more of a hermit type thing. So the sage sometimes, but that's more of an integrated archetype for me. If you missed any of the archetypes or you need a refresher on some, go back to the previous episodes before next week. Because next week, I'll be talking about some of the ways you can work with your shadows and take steps towards integrating them. And I'll even give you some real-life examples of what I've done and just how I work with my shadows. If you want more moon content before then, head on over to Instagram, at moonmatters.astro. And I always forget to mention this, but you guys can find me on Twitter, too. I don't really use it all that much, but... I'm kind of trying to work on that, still figuring out my relationship with Twitter. So if you want to find me on Twitter, it's just at Moon Matters. Stop by, say hello, tell me what Jungian archetypes that you're vibing with, what, which ones have you identified in yourself, and also if you've identified any of your shadows. If you have any questions about it before next week, let me know, because next week we're going to learn how to integrate them into our consciousness. 